I've, I've got some information. I've got some information from you from the shipping container. Some dude on Twitter says he's going to LA. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's it. That's some dude who apparently is close to LeBron is tweeting people, telling them, trophy time, get ready to all the people in LA. Tweet Kyle Kuzma, you tweet a carry champion, you know, all the Laker luminaries. Right, but who is this dude? Like, I have dudes, you know, they're tweeting me that he's coming to Miami. He's, so. he's some dude. He's, he's no inferno, let me put it that way. He's no inferno? No, he's okay. just some dude need to pump up my main man cuffs. First of all, we like on this show and in life, I like to buy value stocks, buy them low before they pop, right? You like to buy low, sell high. I told you guys about Cuffs the Legend a while back. He's been out there, you know, Kevin Durant's in his Instagram mentions. Uh, He's friendly with LeBron. He's gotten in with the NBA players. I'm just telling you guys, you want to buy an early NBA stock. This guy is funny. He's interesting. He's plugged in. You've got to kind of read between the lines as to what he's saying on some stuff. Our next guest is an NBA analyst, a basketball trainer, and a social media influencer. He goes by the name of Cuffs the Legend. And you can follow him on Twitter right there. At Cuffs, C-U-F-F-S, The Legend. In the professional podcasting world, the people are represented by two separate and equally important groups. The media herbs on TV who never got any playing time and the basketball minds who got their 12th grade basketball shoes from the local drug dealer. These are their stories. Smoke a backwoods, Marathon OG. Uh, what? Hustle. Yeah, I feel brand new like I just started this shit. Uh, like it's the beginning. I know y'all been waiting. My foundation solid, let's take flight. shit they been waiting for right here man welcome back to the some do show i am your host cuffs the legend once again we had to go to california today y'all that's right i don't and who the fuck is you to question my request i pay my fucking dues had a couple trains now they coming trolls i'm at the porch line asking do they come in coats walking out the club you know rest in peace to nipsey hustle Speaking of paying dues, man, this episode was only right because my next guest is what I like to call one of the Twitter Avengers. He is one of the NBA Twitter Avengers. 
A lot of y'all are very familiar with Twitter. It's one of the most polarizing, entertaining apps in the world. You know, a lot of people know about me to this day because of Twitter. You know, I was just sitting around thinking about who I really want to talk to, whose mind I really want to tap into and pick his brain. And this guest right here is a real titan in the NBA Twitter metaverse. He's one of my favorite follows on Twitter, a funny-ass guy, a charismatic guy, a family man. I mean, he checks all the boxes, man. I'm a big fan of this guy from a distance. You know, we follow each other. We interact sometimes. But I had to do this for the people, man. A lot of people requested this guy right here, so I had to bring him to the Some Do Show. Let's give a warm Some Do Show welcome to NBA Twitter's own UCLA's own Mr. Josiah Johnson. Welcome to the Some Dude Show, my guy. What's going on, brother? I appreciate you. Thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we finally got to link up like this. Obviously, we've been rocking with each other for a long time, but now we get to do it on the pod level. Hell yeah, man. It's about time, man. It's about time. It's about damn time. So let's, let's, let's tap into what I like to call NBA Twitter. Cause me and you, bro, we from like the Twitter trenches. I call it, <laughs> I call it the Twitter trenches. Like we was around back in like the BlackBerry era of Twitter. You remember that, right? The BlackBerry. Yeah. Era. We come from the Twitter trenches, man. Like I said, the BlackBerry era, where it was just us and our tweets. Like it was before any of this clout shit. You know, before anybody started following us, like big names. So, what's your earliest memory of Twitter, Josiah? Going back to like I said, the BlackBerry Twitter days. It was a glorious time, bro. Yeah, for me, I'm, I think really kind of, you know, 2010, 2011-ish, when Twitter was really first started, man, I was working over at NFL Network as a producer. I remember we were getting ready to do an NFL draft. I think this was a 2010 big production meeting before the draft. All these people in there, Deion Sanders, Rich Eisen, all these people, and, and we started talking about, you know, uh, tweets on the show, and nobody kind of knew what was going on. And just to see, you know, everybody's reaction then versus now, you know, Twitter's established itself as one of the most dominant platforms. For me, for real-time news gathering, interaction, engagement, conversation, uh, it can't be beat. So I remember the old days when, you know, back in the days when, when highlights would happen, you couldn't post videos because they, they didn't have it native to Twitter. So you had to wait for somebody to post it on YouTube, then grab the YouTube link, slide it over with your tweets. But, you know, photo, we didn't have photos, we had none of that. Like you said, it was just straight tweets back in those days and, and to see where the platforms come now and the opportunities that's created for so many people like ourselves, man, it's something that for me is just really a blessing. Like his unreal, like our reach is unreal now. And like you said, with, with news and sports, like highlights, I sometimes find myself seeing highlights or news footage on Twitter before I even see it on national TV. It's crazy. Yes. Wow. Especially in the black Twitter side, but you know, stuff that was going on <laughs> in, 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 in Ferguson, but stuff just going on in the world, man. Like you said, you get real time. We, yeah, you see the video clips and stuff happening before even the news can gather it. And then you see all, them all sliding in the uh, mentions like, yo, can we use this for our, for the news tonight or whatever? So it, it's crazy just to see how, I mean, people, you know, got to be kind of pseudo journalists and, and really just kind of get to, to live their dreams off the platform. So what was your first viral meme? You're known for the memes. You're like King Josiah. That's your Twitter handle, King Josiah. You're known for your viral memes, the funny shit you come up with with your memes. What was your first viral meme on Twitter? Uh, the first moment for me where I knew that this would be something that I could really, you know, make a career out of was probably I think like 2019, 
Uh, everybody remembers Antonio Brown had bounced around from like two to three teams. Yeah, he was he was with the Raiders and then, and then got booted from the Raiders and went over to the Patriots. So I used a clip from uh, Get Out uh, with uh, Lakeith's character when he's in a sunken place, but just to represent Antonio Brown going into that locker room the first time and Josh Gordon. Uh, was on the squad at that point, but just seeing how, you know, you do things the Patriots way. So Josh Gordon was already stuck in the sunken place over there, you know, fucking with Belichick and them. Yeah. So, I, so I made that, I was working a gig, man. I, I would make these little things on the side at work and kind of post them. And then I, I'd go in the bathroom and, and just watch the numbers run up. And that was kind of like the thing I used to do to, you know, to entertain myself on the job and I was just kind of slaving through the day. So I posted this thing and it just, it just went crazy right away. And then Jordan Peele, who I'm a humongous fan of, uh, ended up seeing it, quote tweeting it, and uh, following me. And then we ended up talking a little bit, DMing each other and stuff. So at that point, I was like, you know, I do a, a ton of stuff on the writing side, producing side. And if I would have went to my agents like, yo, you know, can you plug me with a meeting with Jordan Peele? They would have laughed in my face. But I was able to put a meme out that got his attention and actually got a follow from him. So at that point, I was like, yo, man, this thing could be really something special. Hell yeah, this shit is real. Yeah, it's re- you know, you don't, and everybody kind of does their stuff in a vacuum. You don't really know who sees it or who's engaging with it. But from that, it just opened up so many opportunities. And I think about just all the incredible people that, that have followed me and gave me love, man. It's just, for me, it's just super inspiring and motivating. And I know you said, you know, I try to stay as humble as possible, just be super appreciative of everything that I have in life. So to see that stuff now and to be able to create opportunities for myself now to be doing some of the stuff that I'm doing, I would have never imagined then that, that all this stuff would have been happening. But like I said, I'm so thankful for it. And I'm just trying to keep this, this thing rolling. So you go from making memes at the gig, in the bathroom, sneaking off, to Jordan Peele seeing your stuff, <laughs> retweeting your stuff, hitting you up, having a conversation, and the wheels get going, wheels get turning. So who was your first celebrity follow on Twitter, Josiah? Oh, I gotta I gotta go back. Probably uh Paul Wall though. If I had to really <laughs> Paul, the people Paul Wall, baby, shout out to Paul Wall, man. And for everybody who don't know, I'm one of the biggest Paul Wall fans on the planet. <laughs> like from from back in the old school day stuff he was doing with Mike Jones. So he, I had a cartoon on Comedy Central called Legends of Chamberlain Heights. He was a fan of the show, uh, followed the show account. Then I ended up starting my account a little bit down the road because I, I would just kind of use it for work at first. But uh, ended up following me. We ended up connecting. You know, we still talk occasionally. But, yeah, Paul Wall, and, you know, just just the, my memories are still tipping when it came out and how he just he bodied that last <laughs> verse. I'm sure like everybody else on the West Coast, he wasn't really getting a lot of Houston music at that point. But to see the way he just bodied it and then to have him hit me up talking about how much he loves the content and stuff like that, man, shit, it's still crazy to think about. That's fucking hilarious that Paul Wall, the most random follows. So I know you <laughs> I, I know you deal with the same thing I deal with where you get those random follows like in the middle of the night and you see like a verified person. It's like, yo, I had no idea. Or you would go through your list sometimes of verified people and you'd be like, I had no idea this person was following me. Like, yeah, for sure. I think like Christy Teigen, John Legend wife, I knew she followed me, bro, but like she uh sit, she replied to one of my tweets a few days ago and I had people screenshotting and sending it to me and I was like, you know, we kind of like we used to that. So I was like, yeah, I know, bro, but it's still kind of it's kind of mind-boggling knowing that people from all levels and all levels of fame are really fucking with the Twitterverse like this. So like what person followed you that really like blew your mind, like far as the NBA player. Like my, I'm gonna tell you real quick. My <laughs> my first NBA follow was like 
the most random shit ever. You you know Marcus Williams, they play for UConn, they play for yep. the New Jersey Nets. Yeah, legend. Legend. Crenshaw High School legend. Yeah, Crenshaw High School legend, bro. I was a fan of M. Will when he went to UConn. I saw him play in high school at Oak Hill. So when this is back in like 2009, 2010 when we had Blackberries and shit, bro. And he followed me. I thought that shit was cool. Like, yo, this, this is one of the players I used to really watch. So who was your first NBA follow on Twitter? Man, I can't. I didn't think of the first, but uh, I think KD was one one of the biggest. Like LeBron followed me, and that was obviously the the, the most amazing one. But KD followed me a little bit before that, and just to know, like to your point, like that the dudes is out there rocking and seeing it, and, and really rolling with with the content and stuff like that. Just for me, was always always super super hilarious. Like I said, I tweet in a vacuum, so I'll be at the crib with the kids and the family. Yeah. I don't really know. I'm just watching games, talk, talking shit, and having a good time, joking around. And then to see the, the, those follows trickling, even Steph Curry, who obviously I used to go at Steph fans hard, but I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for Steph. But, you know, it, it was Steph-LeBron battles. We would go at each other. But yeah, seeing talk, those talk, type talk of dudes. about that because people think I hate Steph, but it was like, bro, I'm a LeBron fan. So Steph was kind of in the way like bird and magic type Bob. So I don't dislike Steph, but at that time, <laughs> you know how you know how heated those finals were back in those days, Cavs and Warriors. Talk about that a little bit. How you, Like you said, Steph Curry, he's not really our enemy, but he was at that one time. This is, I think, the thing that people don't really grasp or understand. It's never about the players. Like, you got to, you know, anybody who makes the NBA, you got to have respect for. I'm not really, you know, I see a lot of kids nowadays, casuals, whatever you want to call them, that be trying to shit on dudes. Like, any dude who's made the league, I got a tremendous amount of respect for because I know they could bust my ass. So I always had a tremendous amount of love for Steph. But to your point, when, when Steph and LeBron were battling each other, Steph fans, obviously, were trying to say shit to get under LeBron fan skins. So, you know, it was the same thing back. You know, he's going to reciprocate that energy. But... At the end of the day, you you can't look at a dude like Steph and and not rock with him. All the amazing stuff he did in the league, but also the stuff he does off the court, the charitable stuff, the endeavors, everything he's got going on. And he's just a, a funny dude. I'm I'm a big fan of petty players. Hell I'm yeah. a big fan Hell yeah. of players. You know, he's light skinned, so everybody thinks, oh, he's this nice dude. But you know, dudes <laughs> that got to play against him. You know, he has, he has asshole tendencies, and I respect I respect him tremendously for that. You know, the shimmy and the dancing, all that type of stuff. You know, how keen he is. Anybody who says anything about him, you know, he's going to see it. He's going to drop a little. Yeah, he's he, going to drop a little. He's going to let you know. I call, I call Steph Curry. Shout out to Steph, man. I call Steph Curry a one-trick pony back in those finals, right? Back in, like, 2016. He liked my shit. <laughs> I said, yo. You know, I said, he very petty, bro. He watching. <laughs> And that's that's the type of stuff you got to love and respect out of these dudes that that, that they're seeing it, they're engaging with. And I think that's the cool thing too, which a lot of people don't grasp is no matter how big these dudes get, a guy like KD, he's looking at all the stuff that's going on, and everybody's always like, man, why 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 are you searching himself, responding to tweets like this is Twitter, that's what it is. Like somebody's talking about your name, playing with your name, of course you're gonna respond and bounce back. It don't matter how big you are. So I really respect dudes like that. And dudes that back it up on the court, of course. And one thing about guys like KD, I remember KD first followed me. And, and my first memory of Kevin Durant on Twitter is me and Kevin Durant going back and forth and, like, you know, cracking on each other and doing shit like that. And it was all in fun. And now I tell people, when y'all see us doing that, bro, we've been doing that over 10 years. This like 2011 when we was doing that. Yeah, you already know. Yeah, you already know. <laughs> so you've seen, like, a meteoric rise with your following you know, you become like a like a household name of some sorts to a lot of people, especially in the Twitterverse. So when did the trolls first start to arrive on your Twitter, Josiah? Because I deal with that shit every day. It's, we all deal with it in some capacity. But when did the trolls first start to arrive on your Twitter? 
Now, it's funny you ask that. This is something that I, the advice I give to a lot of people whenever they talk about social and trying to, you know, build a lane in there. It's like when you first start, it's a lot of friends, family, people that rock with you, people that love you, of course, so they're going to rock with your stuff. If your stuff's not good, they're just not going to say nothing. They're not going to really come at you. But I think probably around like the 15, 20,000 follower range is where you first kind of start getting in the, the hate and the negativity, the death threats, the cancer wishes on you and your family, all that type of stuff. And it's really, it's going to make or break you because a lot of people see that shit and they can't really handle it mentally. Like it wears on them. But my thing, anytime anybody talks crazy to me, I just, I just look them up, see who they are. And if they really want to have a problem in the real world, we can make that happen. You know what I'm saying? So it's something for me, like I use it now as a, a badge of honor when, when people come at me, because that means they see your stuff, whether they love it or hate it, whatever it may be. And yeah, the trolls, I think that's just a part of the game. I think it's gotten a lot worse probably in the last three to four years. I just seen a, a real surge and kind of a lot of the negativity and the toxic nature of it. So I try to really just stay above that shit now. In my younger days, I, I would really get into it, go back and forth. But I remember, funny funny enough story, uh, I posted something about Michigan State years ago and started going back and forth with this account, didn't know who they were, end up, you know, doing my research, end up being like a 60-year-old woman in like, you know, Michigan or something. I'm sitting here arguing with, I, I, I took a step back, like, what the fuck am I doing right now? I'm sitting here <laughs> bickering back and forth with this account, because, you know, when you, when you see an account of Abby, whatever, you don't know who it is, you just build it up in your mind who you think that person is on the other side. Let's talk about but, that for a second. What's up with that? <laughs> when it comes to the trolls, my only issue with the trolls, Josiah, I talk about this all the time on my Discord and on Twitter, bro. It's always somebody with a dog avatar or like an animated cartoon or just a random NBA players that avatar. It's usually those guys or gals who are the Twitter trolls out here. Because do you sometimes feel like those are not real people? It's like bots or 12-year-olds. I think it's just young kids, man. It's the thing about young kids, they don't really got no respect. They talk wild. I think when I was a young kid. <laughs> they talking crazy to us, Josiah. <laughs> yeah, they think we owe, we watch, we whatever. But it's like, look, I can pay all my bills. I don't got no student loan debt. So. <laughs> Josiah, I had a dude yesterday tell me, he was like, you're 40-something years old. You shouldn't be typing OMG in all caps. And I was like, bro, you trying to tell me it's an age requirement on typing in all caps, bro? <laughs> like, they, they make up the wildest shit to say to us. It's crazy. <laughs> That's the shit that, like, there's an age limit on Twitter or some shit. Like, they the same people that, that'll retweet Skip Bayless's tweet, like, his ass ain't in the 70s or whatever it is. So I, I think as I've gotten older, I just got a lot more perspective. I used to be super petty and do a lot of out-of-pocket dumb shit. But I, I look now and I kind of just got to laugh at them because, you know, a lot of these kids are going to be asking for jobs in the next couple of years. So, you know, they think that this shit doesn't go away. But, you know, you've seen – I play at a UCLA with Matt Barnes. And, you know, he'll get pressed. A lot of people talk crazy to him, and, then, and he'll, he'll see what's up. And then all of a sudden, oh, man, I was just playing. I was a fan. <laughs> yeah, I was a fan. You know, yeah. they, 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 they switch up real quick, man. So, yeah, I just take it with a grain of salt now at this point. And really, like, that's the shit that's going to make or break you on social. Like, everybody loves the praise. Everybody loves the pass on the back and the retweets and all that type of shit. But what do you do now when somebody's coming for you, and they're coming for you repeatedly, they're saying a bunch of crazy shit at you? Like, how do you respond then? Because, you know, like, the one thing, I'm not trying to get my account packed up. So you can say whatever you want to me. I'm not going to respond. It's going to be a one-sided beef. Hell yeah. And I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a state of mind right now where I'm having like a lot more emotional intelligence where I just block the ass. I usually didn't block people as much, Josiah, but now it's like, if you come at me with any negative vibes, like outside of the jokes, it's like, bro, you gotta go. <laughs> you gotta go instantly. Well, that's move. That's, that's always been my move. The block thing. I feel like a lot of people don't want to block cause they, they feel like it's some, you know, like the person on the other side is, is, is posting the photo. Like, Ooh, look, they blocked me. And I'm like, well, shit, if, if that's the highlight of your day or your life, dog, Hell like, you yeah. to, like that's to the reevaluate. That's the highlight of your life. Like, look, Josiah Johnson, Cuff the legend, they blocked us. Look at this shit. I, I see people doing that. 
and this shit just cracks me up. But for me nowadays, you know, I'm still a little petty. So whenever I see somebody, let's say they're a fan of a team or whatever, and they're talking crazy, I'll just block them. And then I'll just post a bunch of content related to that team. So I know that all their followers <laughs> and people that they rock with will keep retweeting on in their timeline and shit and just drive them crazy. So that's, that's kind of my way to get back at them, to have them thinking about me. And I'm just kind of laughing in their face. So you're on the Some Dude Show right now with Cuff the Legend and King Josiah Johnson. So you're from a family of hoopers, bro. Like, I've seen your story. Your father, Marcus Johnson, NBA legend, third overall pick in the 1977 draft, five-time All-NBA, national champion with UCLA in 75. That's my pops era. So I, used, yeah. I used, my, my pops used to always talk about your pops. That's crazy we even doing this. Your pops was also in, like, an iconic movie. He'd been in different things. But I'm going to play a clip from the movie so people can get an idea of who I'm talking about. Wait a minute, hold on. Wait a minute, this is ridiculous, man. Look, Raymond, we are brothers, man. I swear to God, man, I have never Hustling seen Raymond. this white boy before <laughs> in my life. Sydney, you out of your mind negotiating with the guy with the blade? You got a wife and kid, man. How do you know my name? And how come he's talking about your family? What? Wait a minute. <laughs> Classic. You talking about my wife and kid, and you don't know me? Wait a minute, Raymond, cut this motherfucker. Yo, cut that motherfucker right there. Nah, nah, fuck this. Both you motherfuckers are crazy. I'm going to my car. Get my other gun. Shoot everybody's ass. <laughs> everybody's ass. Raymond. 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 Hustling Raymond. So how was it, Josiah, growing up with an OG that was an NBA legend, Marcus Johnson? How instrumental was your pops in your life and your basketball development? Uh, it was it was it was super instrumental. The thing is, I was born in '82. He got drafted '77, so uh, I didn't get to see a lot of the early Bucks years as a kid. We, you know, we had VHS and Beta at the crib. Beta, <laughs> so we we see a little bit. Yeah, Beta go way back. Now, that's how you know I'm old. But uh, we have Betas at the crib and shit. So for for a long time, I didn't really appreciate and value just how good he was. But then you know you would hear the stories about Michael Jordan having a poster on the wall in North Carolina, and I would see the way that just people you know the love that they have from when he when he rolled around the city. And for the longest part of my life, people didn't even know. Nobody called me Josiah. It was Little Marcus or or Little Chris after my older brother Chris, who also played at UCLA. So just seeing the the love and the respect that he had on that side. But for me, like, you know, 14, 15 years old, we play one-on-one, and I used to give him the business. So I never really appreciated how good he was in the league. But he had the janky hip, and he he had broken his neck, actually, in 86 uh, when he was with the Clippers. So, he can still, you know, he was he kinda, can, he can still dunk, though. I think he can still dunk. Yeah. He makes the video, like, every year, right? Yeah, I shoot, I shoot that video every single year. We started that about, like, 10, 11 years ago. He, I think he was, like, 50, 55-ish, or 55 around about. That was the year that uh, Blake Griffin won the dunk contest. Uh, jumping over to Kia. So we went over to the uh, 24 hour fitness. He was like, yo, go get me a, a little car. So I got my little Mercedes, a little, you know, the little toy miniature joints and he yammed over it. And then every year since, you know, he tried to elevate it a little bit, but we just did one uh, this past February for his 66th birthday, hoping that he, he still got in there at 67. Holy but. shit. He's 60. He, your pops is 66 and he can still dunk a basketball. That's crazy. He, he, he can give you one dunk a year. He, he, every year every year is the same story, though. About three or four weeks before, I'm like, yo, you ready to do this? 
we got to knock it out. Man, I don't know if I got it this year. I, I just don't know if I can do it. <laughs> then he'll start hitting the peloton, really get into it. You know, start training. He always he's always training, keeping his body right. Just but, for one dunk. Just for one. just. But then we'll go we'll go out in the backyard, measure out that ten feet. You know, we want to keep it legit and consistent. But then he'll end up. You know, we'll shoot a few takes of it. He'll end up dunking like five six times. Like you know, it's just. It's comical from that standpoint because every year he say he don't got it, then he end up getting like five or six of them off because he wants to get the video just perfect and make sure you know everything looks just right. So basically, in all actuality, it's basically just like the scene in White Man Can't Jump <laughs> when yeah. when Sidney and Billy and he was trying to dunk and he bet him. It's like that same type type of energy. So yeah, always your, your pops was the OG. He was a legend in the game. But how instrumental was your mom? Was your mom an athlete as well, like your pops, or or she didn't really she didn't really. No, she was, she, I mean, she worked out, she did, so she, she didn't really play no sports coming up, but she was, uh, you know, she's been a teacher for a long time, big educator, so it's kind of that balance. Like, you know, he was obviously hard on us with, with the athletics and the hoop, but she was hard on us with the books and stuff, too. So, you know, I like to say every, every one of my brothers and sisters is super intelligent, uh, you know, very, very educated, and she used to really just push that on us. So for us, like, you couldn't bring no bad grades home, none of that type of shit. She wasn't having it, and, and she didn't really mess around. My mom actually used to be a model back in the day. So that was kind of that was that was her thing. So she was getting it done on the runway. Oh, very versatile. A lot of versatility in the Johnson household. Because like you said, your brother, I remember your brother, Chris. We talked to each other on Twitter all the time. And I, it took me a while to put that together because like your brother followed me for a long time. And then I follow you back and forth. But then I realized, like, hold on. Then I started seeing like old clips and I was like, oh, Chris Johnson, he was really good. Like your brother was a good player at UCLA, won a national championship in 95. I remember that team real vividly. Like that's my era of college ball, bro. So how was the Johnson bloodline? Like how competitive was the Johnson family growing up in that household with your dad, so your brother, and then you and the whole family? So my dad and my brother, you know, they used to, I mean, look, I can, I can recall times, you know, it, it, would, it would devolve into fights. They'd be playing one-on-one. We used to have all types of holes in the house, you know, in the walls and shit. Oh, it got real. It wrestling, got real. Them wrestling, going at each other. Because the thing about Chris, Chris always just, you know, he didn't care who you were. I remember as a kid, you know, I was probably like seven. He's seven years older than me. We, we'd go up to UCLA in the summertime and work out and do stuff. He'd be 14, 15 years old playing with the pros and stuff and holding his own and, you know, trying to fight dudes. And and it was it was just stuff for me that you know it really helped me with just my mental and how to approach the game and attack the game. But he was sitting, him and my dad were both city players of the year in high school. Like you said, they they both won national championships. So it was some hard shoes to fill and follow. But you know he was always super super duper supportive. Uh, you know just in terms of just putting the work in. I think a lot of people don't remember his freshman year at UCLA. He had, he had a foot injury. So he's kind of out of the rotation, but he ballooned up to like 280, 290 pounds. He's six five at this point, playing the five and the four, giving dudes work. But uh, summer going into his sophomore year, he lost like 70 pounds. And for me just to be around him at that point, he, he went out to Atlanta uh, with his mom and, and did a bunch of work out there, then came back to L.A. and was just on this, this vigorous workout routine. So I would be on it with him, just trying to, you know, shadow him and follow in his footsteps. So he was super tremendous just in, in my life and my game and just – being around, you know, when you were around him, no shit was going to crack because no matter what, he was going to have your back and he was going to do whatever. I mean, I've seen him try to fight, you know, dudes like Magic, Kobe. It didn't really matter. You know, summertime runs at UCLA. <laughs> you know, he, he tells his story. Kobe was like 18. I think Chris probably like 20, 21-ish at UCLA at this point. Kobe kind of rookie with the Lakers, obviously, you know, feeling himself like anybody would, you know, getting drafted by the Lakers straight out of high school. But, you know, going at each other. And the thing, Chris will tell you that Kobe didn't back down. And from that point, he always had a tremendous amount of respect for him in his game and just knew he was going to be special. Because, like, you know, I've seen my brother punk a lot of dudes during those summer runs at UCLA, which are, are legendary in the game. 
And, you know, he, he just, it didn't matter who you were. He was going to go at you as hard as he was, and he was going to battle you, and he wasn't going to ever back down. But to see the way that, you know, dudes responded, but they always they always respected him too. And just, just his work ethic, how hard he played. He carved out a nice career for himself playing overseas internationally. He went he, he went in, he played like the four and five, like the three, four, five in high school. By the time his career ended, he had, he had turned himself into a point guard. He was about six, five, but just, and that's just a testament to his work ethic and skills. So I remember every summer he'd come back and we would just hit it. We'd go over to Veterans Park out in Carson, uh, home of the real run. Yeah, just put yeah, in work out were, there. Y'all were in the trenches. <laughs> y'all yeah. were in the trenches. Multiple workouts a day, but just, just you know, stuff that helps me a lot even still with the stuff I do now in terms of just how to approach it, work ethic. You know, people look at me that think I'm casual and laid back and don't really see all the work that goes into it uh, to be successful. So I attribute a lot of that to him, my dad, and obviously my mom as well. A lot of people don't know. Some people know, but a lot of people don't know. Like, you hoop yourself. A lot of people see you on Twitter. They see the memes now. They say, well, that's an older guy. But you used to get a bucket, man. Don't come on this show trying to be humble, bro. Like, you used, no, to, I you used to get a bucket. Like, you was a really great high school player. You went to UCLA. Talk a little bit about your basketball journey. Yeah, I, I was great in high school. I got to UCLA, and, uh, you know, obviously th- things things took a turn to other side. But I played <laughs> hey, with, like, you're, 14 you're a, pros. You were a D1 athlete. You went to UCLA, bro. Like, talk about how guys might not get a chance to play at a big school like that. But y'all really were good, phenomenal basketball players. I mean, looking back on it, I had a lot of offers to go to some other spots, some Ivy League schools, some 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 some, some smaller schools. But obviously, my dream was to go to UCLA. I went to elementary school on UCLA's campus, you know, spent a, a great portion of my life every summer from like age eight to 18, you know, get dropped off or drive up there. Eight in the morning, we're on the track hitting the workouts. Then we go grab a little bite. Then we, we're in the men's gym putting work in. Then we're hooping. Then we're getting run, you know, runs in later on in the evening. So it, it was a dream come true for me to be able to go there. But like I said, I, I got to campus that first year, ended up having a stress fracture in my foot. So so had the red shirt. But got to play with like 13 or 14 dudes who went on to the pros. But I realized pretty early on in the college career that the basketball probably wasn't going to be a major, major part of my professional life. So I got to <laughs> really hit the books. But, you know, it was a humbling experience, man. I'm super, super thankful for the opportunity. You know, going to school with with, with future NBA players. Hell, Olympians. hell yeah. That's like incredible memories. If anything, you have incredible memories, courtside memories. Yeah, for sure. That's why I like to say I had the best seat in the house. Got to got to play with a lot of great dudes, a lot of great moments in the tournament, things like that. So for me, well, who, you know, who I, are I, some of your legendary teammates? Tell the people who were some of the stars that you played with at UCLA. So stars uh, Earl Watson, my freshman year, I redshirted, and, and to this day, when people ask me who's the the best leader I've ever seen, I got to say Earl. Just the way Earl was cold. I mean, just, Earl, he was Earl, cold. Cole Hooper, but just the definition of a point guard, what you want in a point guard, floor general, leader, a great dude off the court, you know, new one to getting guys' asses and new one to take it easy on dudes. New, you know, always was just kind of looking to build the team to get the most out of everybody. So play with Earl, play with Matt Barnes, Jason Capono, uh, Jordan Farmar, Aaron Aflalo, Trevor Ariza, oh. Cedric Bozeman, who's a, a L.A. legend, Dejon Thompson. You know, just Ryan Hollins, you know, just a bunch of dudes who went on in the league. So Jason Capono is one of the best shooters ever. We don't talk about that enough. Like he's one of the best shooters ever in basketball. Bro, I remember we were playing DePaul one time and uh, he had started off a little slow. So he came over to the bench like, Yo, I'm about to hit my next five threes. He hit the next four. He didn't make the fifth one. But but around three, we were like, you know, this dude is uncanny. But to see this dude in practice, another guy, when you talk about just the work he put in, people saw Capono in high school. You know, he was fat. He was he was a, he was a long range shooter, but overweight. Like, you know, but, but from his junior, senior high school 
transformed his body. And then when he was at UCLA, like the dude, he was working out with Neil O'Shea back in the day. And it's crazy to see, you know, Neil and everything he did in the league. But Neil used to be Capone's rebounder. That's how a lot of us knew him. But Capone was getting up 1,000, 1,500 shots before practice. He'd get his work in at practice, get get on the shooting machine afterwards. And it was like him and Casey Jacobson, when I was there, they used to go at each other, you know, in terms of who was, who was the best white shooter in the Pac-10. And for my money, it was Capone. I mean, the stuff he could do on the court and just, just you know, every time he put the ball up, you, you thought that thing was going in. Yo, Stanford. Casey Jacobson is one of the bro. He was cold, bro. He was a cold player in his time, bro. Probably the biggest shit talking Caucasian I think I've ever. <laughs> but would back it up, talk major shit, but would get buckets, do his thing, and, and a dude you had to have respect for playing. You know, the squads with the Collins twins and all the crew they had going out over there. Y'all think they were number one in the country at points. You know, just just a, a tremendous squad up there. Bro, the Pac-10 back then, the Pac-12, they had some cold Caucasian hoopers, bro. Luke Rittenhauer with Oregon, Luke Jackson. Yeah, the looks. Oh my God, bro. It was a different era, a different time. So you're known for basketball. We talked about the basketball side of Josiah Johnson and your Twitter presence is like legendary, bro. But some people may not know this, but like you've done a lot of work behind the scenes, Hollywood. You were involved in the uh, the Colin in Black, Black and White, Colin in Black yeah. and White series on Netflix. What was it like working with a guy like Colin Kaepernick on his own project? It was so personal to him. So it's crazy. But you, you know, I, I've been a big fan. Like I'm a Raiders fan, and I'll, I'll say this to this day: Colin Kaepernick is the only human being that can give me Rocket Niners jersey. But I remember 2016 when he had first started the protest, just having a tremendous amount of respect for him and everything he was doing to raise awareness about social injustice going on in the black community specifically. So getting an opportunity to work on that show, I actually worked on that show with Michael Starberry, who's one of the co-creators of Legends of Chamberlain Heights with me. And it's funny, we were at uh, my dad's jersey retirement ceremony uh, in Milwaukee, uh, like about a year before the show went. And he's like, look, I'm doing this project with Avon, Colin Kaepernick. I know you used to work at the NFL Network. I know how much you rock with football. Love to get you on it. And people tell you that type of shit all the time in Hollywood, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, the Hollywood talk is crazy. <laughs> So fast forward, uh, I'm working on a show, uh, doing a show at Fox Sports. Excuse me, I'm doing a show at Fox Sports with Christine Leahy. Uh, he hits me on like a, a Monday, like, "Look, the show's a go. We start the room next Monday. You want to do it?" And I'm, my dumb ass is like, "Oh, I got, I got to think about it, whatever." So it, I could tell in his tone, he was, he, he was just, "All right, yeah, do whatever you want to do, bro." But he, he, and I called him back like ten minutes later, like, "Y'all, man, like, I can't wait to do this shit." So to be able to work on that show with him and Ava DuVernay, and obviously Colin. I remember the first time we met Colin, he came in a room. This was November of 2019. I'm getting my years all screwed up. I think 2019-ish. And, uh, you know, this is back when, you know, the week he comes in the room, he's supposed to come for about three days, really just break down his whole life, his story to us. First day he's in there, I want to say it's like a Wednesday. That's the day that the news broke about his workout in Atlanta. And I remember just seeing the excitement on Colin's face. And we all kind of in the room were a little, you know, him as well, just like, oh, this feels a little fishy. Like they're doing this joint on a Saturday when that's literally college football day. What scouts are going to be there or whatever. He didn't care, man. He was just so excited to get that, get out there and show what he could do. So literally our first, our first or second week in the writer's room starting the show, you know, he goes out there, you know, performs great out there and does that stuff. But just to be around Colin and really get to know him as a human being, as a person, man, he's a, he's a phenomenal dude. And the thing is, man, I see a lot of people come at him, which is super wild to me, especially guys that have played in the NFL, trying to act like he's not really about it and he, he's not really living that life. This dude has been doing so much stuff for the community. He don't really, He's not really the type that likes cameras in his face or got to take a picture and say, hey, look at what I'm doing. He just does it because he wants to and still doing it with the, with the Know Your Rights camp. 
and in the various you know endeavors that he has going on. So to see the way that you know he's kind of embraced this 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 life now and, and really just stays stays firm as a rock on it, man, it, it's, it's been amazing to see. But it, like you mentioned, it's Colin in his life, so he was super super specific about things. He wanted it to be as accurate as possible, but also just you know, show people the stuff that he dealt with to, to be able to become a quarterback in the NFL. And I think after watching that show, if you see that everything Colin went through, you know, only having one scholarship offered in Nevada, Whoa. and that wasn't even, it wasn't even a firm offer for him to play quarterback. It was basically like, yeah, we'll give you a chance, but if that don't work out, we'll move you to safety or we'll move you to another position. And for him to be able to, you know, take that, become one of the most prolific players in, in college football history, you know, we talk about a dual threat quarterback and the numbers that he put up. And then, you know, translate that to a career in the NFL, leading the Niners to the Super Bowl. Like I said, I'm a Raiders fan, but I'm sitting there watching that Super Bowl against the Ravens, and I'm rocking with Cap. You know what I mean? I, I want to see Cap do it. Obviously, they, they came short of it. But to see just the, the impact of his career, not even kind of some of the hate and vitriol he gets, is it's wild to me just from, from who this dude is. And I think if anybody really gets to sit with Colin, talk with him, and actually gets to know him, I think their opinion would be changed very quickly. Man, I really loved it. When I watched it, because I'm a biracial kid, some people know my story, man. I'm from a real racist part of North Carolina, bro. So being biracial in this racial area was tough growing up. So I kind of related to some of his story, like the identity thing you go through being biracial, like your white side, and it's like your black side, and it's like the two things collide, and you go to your white grandma house. <laughs> you go to your <laughs> yeah. black grandma house. So I kind of experienced that. So I really had a lot of emotions watching that, man. It was great. So you were kind of like in the writer's room? Writer and producer on it. Oh, man, that's incredible, bro. You have the No Chill podcast with Gilbert Arenas. Bro, that's one of my favorite basketball podcasts. I, I put people on to it. Like, even before you joined onto the podcast, I always watch it, support the show. Me and Gil had a couple interactions back and forth, funny shit before on, like, Instagram uh, before. Like, Gilbert is such a sharp basketball mind. How did that opportunity come about for you? Like, working with Gilbert Arenas, getting to know a guy like that, and just coming on the podcast because the shit is like must-see TV, bro. Yeah, no. So for me, Gil, I've always been a, a big fan of Gil. I told Gil, first time I saw Gil, I was a sophomore at Crenshaw. He was a junior at Grant. Crenshaw played Grant in the first round in the playoffs. Gil had like 40 and three quarters. Uh, you know, back in those days, Crenshaw was notorious for a full call, for full court press. We call Rover. But, you know, we literally used to smack teams. You shut them down. Gil was breaking the press oh, by himself. One, coast to, one man press know. break. One man press break. And I'm looking like, who the fuck is this dude? And then, uh, you know, I got to see him in the summertime hooping, obviously, at Arizona when I was at UCLA. And it turns out we actually uh, live like four blocks away from each other now. So when I used to jog jog around the neighborhood, I would always see Gil rolling through in his Maybach. You know, we, we say what's up to each other, but we didn't really know each other like that. Then the opportunity came up last year. Uh, they were looking for a host. Uh, reached out, you know, got to do it. I'm, I'm going to be real. You know, I'd never done anything on the hosting side at that point. Yeah. That major. So it was a little shaky at first, just trying to figure Gil out. But the thing I love about Gil, man, he, he's just a, he's a genius. And I think a lot of people, you know, he's got this stigma around him, obviously, from some of the stuff in his career and a lot of negativity around him. But when you sit and just get to talk to Gil and really pick his brain, and like you mentioned, just understanding, you know, him telling the story about when he was with the Warriors, the second round pick, wasn't really making no bread, didn't really have gas to fill up the tank in his Escalade. So he used to stay at the facility, watch tape, work out, work on his game. And then, you know, a couple of years later, signing with the Wizards, they actually had to put a provision in the CBA because he ended up getting a major bag and the Warriors couldn't keep him. But just seeing, you know, his story and, and how he came up in L.A. and just all the stuff that he dealt with as a kid and what he's been able to, to, to get through to get to where he's at now. So it was a dream come true for me to be able to work on the show with Gil. I watched the show, too, and was a big fan. 
uh, like you were, you know, back in the day, just forgives mine, his basketball genius, but also he's unfiltered. He'll say whatever the fuck he wants whenever he wants to. And I got a tremendous amount of respect for him just, just for being able to do that, you know, and, and, and but he's always, it's so funny even working with him this year, the stuff that he's been ahead of, the, the, the Ben Simmons stuff. Anytime anything goes on, you know, I remember when the Celtics started off slow and everybody was like, oh, they got to trade either Jalen Brown or Tatum. He's like, fuck that. No, they need to keep them together, man. This squad could be special. These dudes just got to figure it out. It's a little bumpy right now. But the stuff that he would say that would come true, you know what I mean? Just just how in tune and, and, and how much respect the guys have for him as well and just how hard and the hustle in the world. I remember, you know, the 60-point game against Kobe oh, and watching, watching Gil when he was with the Wizards and, you know, watching Gil during his career. But actually to be able to sit with him and just the stories he's got, just just how hilarious he is, the way his mind works, you know, hearing a story about him throwing the big-ass party in D.C. when he was trying to get into the All-Star game because he really <laughs> wanted people to, to come heard, and fill out ballots. I heard some wild stories. I have friends in D.C., and when he was in D.C., he used to go to Berry Farms in the hood and play in the summertime, bro, like in the yeah. fucking trenches. So I, my homeboy was staying there then, and he used to call me like, yo, Gil is out here, bro. Like, he's really out here, and he's pulling up in, like, the craziest car and just no security. He hopping out, and I said, bro, the culture loves him, bro. So it's dope to see what y'all guys building over there no i mean it's been, it's been a great experience for me i know the outtakes gotta be crazy the outtakes with gilbert arena has gotta be hilarious man no it's funny man because uh you know there, there's some stuff in me and producer danny corrales who used to work on the jump back in the day you know we'll be in the middle of shows and sometimes it's a little too out there so we got to look at each other like yo this ain't gonna make the show <laughs> yeah. but we just gonna let we gonna let gil keep cooking because this shit is this shit is incredible it's a guy that you know you just love listening to and just his perspective and knowledge and just the way he sees stuff. I remember we did an interview with, with Mike Vick uh, earlier, earlier this year and uh, just hearing them two dudes talk. I asked kind of like a super serious question about Vic and obviously Gil had kind of had a situation he went through. So I followed up with Gil. Gil just kind of, you know, started cracking jokes and like, but just the way the whole mood shifts and just the dude is, I mean, he's a character, man, but he's, he's a phenomenal dude to be around. And like I said, it's just been a great opportunity for me to work on that show. And it's wild to, for me now, everywhere I go, everybody's showing love because of the Gill show. I was at All-Star Weekend in Cleveland this year. Dude's just kind of looking at me. I'm like, damn, this dude want to fight me? Did I tweet something crazy at him? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, oh, watch the Gill show. We love the Gill show. So just, just to see the love that Gill has from the basketball community is phenomenal. Bro, like, so... My thing with Gil, bro, I feel like with Gilbert Arenas, he's a very clairvoyant dude. He sees things. Like, he can see something. He has that instinctual thing as being a player. Because all players don't have that skill, bro. Like, you got guys who can jump, who can score a lot of points. They've done tremendous things in the league. But they don't have that, like, I want to say, like, that sixth sense where they just see certain stuff. And Gil has that. So who who is your dream podcast interview, Josiah? Uh, you know, probably, probably Brian, but I would love to interview Steph, love to interview KD. I mean, there's so many out there, but I got a lot. I mean, we did an interview with uh, Vernon Maxwell in Las Vegas during Summer League. He's funny and, as fuck, bro. Bro, one of the most, that's probably my favorite interview that we've done. And I, I was a fan of Mad Max during his career. My dad used to work with the Sonics when he was out there. So I always saw him for afar and know he was a character, but just to be able to sit down with that dude, hilarious. On a similar level, I like to say, you know, Gil has no chill, but Mad Max, if Gil ain't got no chill, Matt Max is on a whole nother level. But. <laughs> hey, yo, Vernon Maxwell 
He is terrorizing the Utah Jazz fans. Where did that come from? I don't know, but I enjoy watching it. That's one of the few things. I'm not. I'm not normally into the pettiness and the beef, but yeah, he'll come at them relentlessly. <laughs> Say y'all don't have electricity out there. Y'all don't have Wi-Fi. Y'all don't have front teeth. Like he be giving them the business, bro. And just to see that dude, to see the tweets, and I kind of knew he was a character, but then to be able to sit down with him for an hour and a half, like I said, that's, that's probably my favorite interview that we've done. But dream interviews for me, man. It, it, it's wild because, you know, you think of all the big-name stars, and that's great, but I'm also a fan. Like I said, if you play in the league, I got a tremendous amount of respect for you, but it'd be the guys who maybe didn't play as much. Those are the ones who got the best stories because they saw everything. They were there for everything. Yeah. So just being able to sit down with dudes, pick their brain, hear their stories of how they got to where they're at, man, it should it's cool for me to be a part of. You're on the Some Dude Show right now with Cuff the Legend and Josiah Johnson. Now it's time. You know, the first half is over. The first three quarters is over, Josiah. Now we about to get <laughs> <laughs> now we're about to get into the spice, Josiah. You're a UCLA Bruin, Josiah. We talked about it. You know, you wore the jersey, you donned the UCLA jersey. Your brother did. It was legendary. Your pops, bro, you a Bruin to the core. What went wrong with Russell Westbrook last season? <sighs> I, don't, I mean, look, you know, I'm, I'm a big Russ fan, and I and I, I'm still rocking with Russ Tough. I just oh, think before, for me, before you before you go into it, let me say this part of the question: How much of it was mental? I think, look, you got a guy like Russ, right? Russ loves L.A. Russ loves Kobe. Kobe's his favorite player. I remember interviewing Russ when he was like 19 years old, and the way his eyes lit up when he talked about just how much he loved Kobe, and you know, showing, seeing Kobe have a mutual respect for Russ, you know, saying Russ had that dog in him during interviews and stuff like that. I know how happy and excited Russ was to be able to come to L.A., come home and do some stuff. And I think he shouldered a lot of that blame. But when you really look at that squad, man, you know, you got LeBron, who was in year 19. A.D. missed half the season. And that's going to be tough for anybody. You know, A.D.'s now supposed to be that franchise player for the regular season, really carry that torch, lead the squad. He's there half the time. I want to say they only played like 20, 21 games together. Granted, their record together wasn't anything to write home about. But they never really got to de- to click and develop that cohesion, and it's tough asking a guy who's ball dominant like Russ to join a squad with a, with a guard who's ball dominant like LeBron and being able to find that cohesion together. But you know, it, it, it was a tough year. I think Lakers fan, it's tough too when you know Lakers fans are yelling at you not to shoot. Oh my you know, god! Just- it, it got so I felt so bad for Russ, bro. And I normally don't really feel bad for players because they making. 45 million, 50 million. You know, it's hard to feel bad for a guy that's making that type of chicken. But it's like, bro, some of the shit I was seeing, bro, it really, it really, it really made me feel bad for the guy. I mean, shit just got real mean spirited to a point. And, you know, that's the thing about Lakers fans and Laker Nation, obviously being here since LeBron came through. Look, Lakers fans don't give a fuck who you are, right? They want you to produce and they're going to let you know about it. I mean, we've seen KCP get bullied to greatness, you know, in the bubble, almost end up <laughs> almost end up playing at a finals MVP shout level. Danny to, Green. Bro, shout out to KCP. I'm glad you brought his name up. Shout out to KCP. He went back to his home state, his hometown, built a basketball court. We're going to do something with KCP real soon. Shout out to Rich Paul, man. Bro, I'm telling you, KCP was bullied to greatness. That's a good one, bro. He was bullied. Hey, but that's that's what Lakers fans, they're going to bully your ass to greatness. You mean oh the sickest swim. So I think Russ let it get into his head a little bit, but I've seen him come at Bron, AD. It don't really matter, right? This is a, a franchise that's won, what, 18, 17 championships. Like, they're used to greatness, so they want to see players perform at a high level. I think, you know, Russ has some shaky time. But Russ also has some, some good points in the season, too, so – we can't we can't just act like it was all bad. They don't talk but, about it enough. Like he had he had some very good moments. 
especially the last 10 games, he really played well, bro. But you look at social media, and that's just not how it goes, right? You know, I'm looking at a video the other day, uh, Scotty Barnes and James Harden in the gym together at the UCLA run. Scotty locked up James on one play, and you would have thought that that was how the, the entire day went. You're right. That's, that's the kind of stuff that we do on social media. You see one thing, and they'll use one clip or a couple of string out of a couple of clips. Like you can string out bad clips for any player in the NBA. You can do that. Create, you can do that. You create whatever narrative you want. <laughs> Speaking of Twitter, you can do that same shit with old tweets. You can do that shit with old highlights of basketball players, or you can make the narrative fit to however you want it to look. Yeah, and that's, and that's the thing about that. So, you know, I know there's been talk now. For me, I, you know, I just want Russ to be happy. Russ, for me, has always been a great dude. I've known him since he was at UCLA. And he, he's a kid who's always been an underdog, right? He wasn't supposed to get a scholarship to UCLA. Scholarship opened up. He was a guy that didn't really play a lot his freshman year, really blew up his, his sophomore year, you know, ended up being a lottery pick. But a dude who loves L.A. So I know how much that that really, you know, stung and, and burned him to get just kind of treatment like that. You're talking about a guy who who loves the city, and want, you know is wants to be a winner, wants to go out there and, and do what he can, but it just didn't work out that way. So I got a tremendous amount of love for Russ. If he comes back this year, I'm optimistic. I think they're going to be able to figure it out. You know, they they had that first year. It was rough. It was rocky. But as long as AD stays healthy, LeBron can stay healthy for most of the year. Lakers I think we'll six. See. Lakers is six. <laughs> <laughs> so so look right there. What you said. Here's how I feel. I'm gonna do some shoulda, coulda, wouldas. We're gonna do some hypotheticals, Josiah. Let's just say, let's just say right here on the Some Dude Show, Cuffs the Legend, King Josiah Johnson. Let's just say they do run it back, hypothetically speaking, and everybody is healthy. Anthony Davis is going to be healthy this year. I believe that. LeBron damn James is going to be healthy this year and an MVP candidate, him and Anthony Davis. I'm saying it right now on the Some Dude Show. Let's just say the big three, Westbrook, Braun, AD is healthy. They surround these guys, make a couple more moves, a couple more tweaks. We're getting the energy guys, William Gabriel, Stanley Johnson. They're going to play an even better role, a more reduced role probably, but a better role. Austin Reed's going to be a monster this year. His confidence through the roof. I really like the team. I, I like a lot of the moves. Damian Jones, I like the Thomas Bryant move, bro. So yeah, I'm Thomas Bryant can play. Thomas Bryant can really hoop. He didn't get a chance to play last year, but we saw what he did in Washington. I'm just saying. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. If everybody comes back strong, how much confidence do you have in the team? Oh, I mean, look, everybody comes back strong and their confidence is good. This is going to be a squad to be reckoned with. Obviously, you know, Bron's not the type that likes all the shit talking and, you know, likes likes not making the playoffs. You know what I mean? He's a dude that takes that type of stuff personally. For me, you know, you know, him doing all that great stuff last year, it was good to see. But I knew early on, like, look, man, LeBron's in year 19. He needs to, you know, he, he don't he don't need to be putting up 30 every game and doing all this crazy shit. I mean, it's nice to see as a LeBron fan, but also like, yo, th- this man needs to now take a take a back seat in the regular season and really gear up for the playoffs. But I think this squad can do something. Man. I'm not I'm not going to sit here and, and knock them or act like they, they they can't be good if everybody plays to their potential. Like you mentioned, if AD stays healthy, it's going to be a problem. So you're a Laker fan. You're a LA native. What would you do, Josiah? What would you do, bro, if you were in Genie and Rob Palenka's shoes right now? Are you going to go after Kyrie, despite what we just said? Are you still going to make a play for Kyrie to come to L.A.? Because it's going to happen, whether it happens next week, next month, or next season. I think we're going to have Kyrie in L.A., Josiah. So regardless of how that goes down, the dominoes are going to fall. And what do you think that would look like? Kyrie, A.D., and Braun Braun. How do you think, how excited would you be? 
Look, if Kyrie's locked in and plays at the level we know he could play at, even last year, dealing with the, the mask mandates and, and the vaccine mandates and all that type of stuff, when he was on the court, he was phenomenal. I think, obviously, the chemistry of that squad, that, that net squad, it suffered as a result of those things. But coming out to L.A., you know, just being out here, putting on that Lakers uniform, it does something to you. It really, it really changes you mentally. It makes you want to lock in. And let's just face it, LeBron and Kyrie got some unfinished business. Obviously, that situation didn't end on a high note. So I would love to see them be able to reunite and be able to do something special. But, you know, when you look at that squad, you definitely got to put them in the championship contender realm if all those dudes can stay healthy. And, then you know, you get a couple shooters around those guys. It really, you know, for me personally, I like that 2020 squad, you know, that won the championship. Yeah. You know, 2021, you know, AD's hurt. You know, I remember I was doing an NBA Twitter Live with Channing Fry. We were watching the game. I believe it was game five or six. AD tried to come back in layup lines. And Channing was like, yo, he's not even sweating, man. This dude's not going to play. You know, like, like he don't look right, you know, and, and he ended up, you know, being hurt. But everybody kind of knocked that year. But if AD's healthy that year, you know, we might be talking about repeat. Let's yeah, just keep exactly. it real. They was, they was up on the Suns before he got hurt. You know what I mean? So we're looking at that squad then. I didn't think they needed to make a bunch of changes then. Obviously, management felt differently and they did what they had to do. Last year wasn't, you know, what anybody was hoping for. But I think this year is a new year. LeBron looks, you know, great. He's locked in. And I think the squad's going to be ready to do something. Josiah, keep it 100 on the Some Dude Show. We spoke about the <laughs> Lakers. We spoke about Westbrook, Kyrie, possibility. Has Kevin Durant played his last game as a Brooklyn net? What do you feel is going to happen with Kevin Durant? I think after that go bear trade and, uh, you know, everything that the Jazz got in return, it, it made it extremely difficult because now if go bears, you know, getting that type of haul, what, what you going to give up for KD? And I just don't know how realistic that is for any squad to be able to do it. Obviously, we see the rumors and reports about all the stuff and all the turmoil going on out there. Uh, seems like he wants to change the scenery. I just don't know who's going to be able to have enough, you know, assets to be able to grab him. If you're, if, a- if you're Boston, would you give away Jalen Brown and a couple things, Marcus Smart, to get an opportunity to, to have Tatum and Kevin Durant? Would you do it? After what I saw last year, I'd say no, but that's just me. Based on what that that Celtics squad, you're talking about a squad who was up on the Warriors in the finals. You know, obviously, kind of kind of faltered towards the end of that series and ended up losing it. But you know, they 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 bolstered up that squad. They beefed up. They kept their top top eight. You know, added Malcolm Brogdon, added Gallinari. Like this is a team that is going to be a force to be reckoned with, especially now these guys are a year older. And, you know, I just I like the chemistry that that squad has. And I, I like that team. So I wouldn't break it up personally. It's tough when you got a guy who's generational like KD who could come in and be a difference maker. But, yeah, for me personally, I would keep that Celtic squad together. Let's set the record straight right here. We about to get spicy. I'm going to turn the levels up before I let you go. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get a little spicier. Just higher. Kevin Durant is a generational player. One of my favorites, man. But what will Kevin Durant's legacy be, Josiah, if he does not win another title with Steph and the Warriors? Like, what will his final legacy be, bro? Because that's that's really, I feel like that's fueling a lot of what what we're seeing right now with Durant. Like, he's uncertain because he knows he saw what the Warriors just did. He he saw what Steph just did without him. He can say whatever he want to say on social media. He's a human being, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like. What do you think is going to be his legacy? Like, if he does not win another title? Well, it's tough. Obviously, I wasn't a fan of KD going to the Warriors because I'm a LeBron guy. And I think, you know, even going over there, winning two championships, two finals, uh-huh. MVPs. I still, I still don't like it, bro. I still don't like I'm it. Still, I'm mad about it still. Like, bro, you could have went to the Cavs and did that same shit. Oh, God. That, that was a guaranteed three-peat for Braun, man. 
you could have went to the Cavs, did the same shit. But I think, you know, I, as I've gotten to know Kevin and just the type of duty is, he's going to go down to one of the greatest players this game has ever seen. I mean, who, who else have you seen at that size have that, you know, that toolbox, that package, that, you know, that skill set be able to perform? And, yeah, that's going to hang over him, of course, you know, especially because the Warriors won this year. It's going to hang over him. It just is what it is. That's That's how these discourse works. They try to act like, you know, this Warrior squad didn't have the highest salary cap in NBA history. You got a guy like Andrew Wiggins, who was a former number one overall pick. Been a, and this is something I told Gil early on in the season. I'm like, yo, people are not giving Wiggins the love that he deserves. He's a solid defender. He, you know, he, he fills that role that they need on that squad. Great. But, yeah, ultimately, I think KD got to win another championship somewhere, and it'll kind of quiet a lot of that, that, that hate that he's getting. But it's going to be tough to see. Even if he doesn't win another championship, I mean, I think, you know, you even look last year, dudes, a big-ass foot away you know, from potentially beating uh, the Bucks and winning the championship, then it's, it's a tough break in the league sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, things happen. They don't go your way sometimes. But I remember I'm watching that game with my dad. My dad works for the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, we went to my uh, my niece's graduation. She graduated from Inglewood High. So we missed like the first three quarters. But we all ran over to his crib to watch the house. I mean, we ran over to his house to watch the end of that game. And watching that game, you know, that last play is like, look, man, if KD, you might as well just foul KD now. And give him the two because if he hits the three, it's game time. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like you're not, you know, you, you're gonna you're gonna light a spark under him. And this is coming from a guy who works for the Bucks, right? You know what I'm saying. But just keeping it real of just how generational Kevin Durant is as a basketball player, and everybody in the house agree with him. It's just like, yo, if you let KD shoot it, he's gonna make it. It's cash. You know? It's cash. <laughs> it, it wasn't any question if that was, you know, like if KD gets a shot up, he's gonna make it. Kevin Durant is real. one of the only basketball players. Kevin Durant is one of the only basketball players that comes to my mind that every time he raises up to shoot a jump shot, mid-range or three, I feel like it's going in every time, bro. Him and yeah, for sure. Steph Curry is on that list. Going into this season, give me your, like, favorite league pass teams. Like, who's going to be, like, pay-per-view in your household this year? Because I'm liking some of these young teams, bro. See, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a weird dude, like, and I don't even care about, you know, records per se, right? I just like, you know, like a team like the Rock. They were worse in the NBA last year, right, on paper, but it's like you look at that squad, they're a young squad. Young dudes get older, and they get, you know, obviously they get they get more experience, and, and they remember that type of shit. It, they remind me kind of those Thunder squads back in the day with, with KD and Russ, you know, early on, like, you know, not not the best teams per se, but you knew as soon as these dudes get a little bit older, you know, become more vets, they're going to they're gonna do some shit. So Rockets definitely love watching the Hawks, love watching Trey. And just, you know, the, the way he can, you know, score, dime it out, just the stuff he does. You know, even the OKC Thunder, to be real, like just I'm, I'm curious to see what Chet Holmgren does this year. I'm a fan of his game. The dude has you, – you look at the dude, what he looks like, but then how he plays, and it's like you would have never expected that. You look at him, he's like, you know, in your mind you think he's just some goofy white chump to the quote white man can't jump. But then you see this dude on the court hooping, and I think he wasn't held back at Gonzaga, but Mark Few has his system, and that's you know that's the thing about college coaches. Yeah, they don't really give a shit. They're they, not trying to. They're not trying to make you NBA dudes. They're trying to keep their jobs. Yeah, Gonzaga runs that that motion offense, a lot of ball screens. So I think Chet gonna kill. I like Josh Giddy out there. Lou Dorta, he, yeah. he can strap up. You know, Shaq Gillius Alexander. He's we already know he's an All Star type player. So give me your all time UCLA starting five. Oh, we got to go all time, all, all time Bruins, baby. See, th- and this is a tough thing because oh, you know man. you gotta 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 have Kareem in there. Yes, gotta have Bill Walton. I'm throwing my pops in there at, at small forward. These uh, guards, these guards, a lot of great UCLA guards, and, and that's where it gets tough. I mean, I, got, I mean, I love, I got a personal love for Baron Davis, and just uh, you know, I know BD my whole life, 
but it's tough. You know, you don't ever want to, and I know UCLA fans going to get mad at me. Oh, you didn't include this guy or that guy. It's like, shit, man, look at this lineage. I'm probably going to go Reggie Miller in there because I need buckets, you know, six, and probably BD. Yeah, six man. Give me a six man. Oh, uh, probably Jamal Wilkes to be real. Jamal Wilkes, the legend, the OG Jamal Wilkes. So what movie, Josiah, have you used to make the most memes? All your memes you make on Twitter, what movie have you used the most? I go, I go super heavy in, in John Singleton. I think he's one of my favorite directors. So, a lot of boys in the hood stuff, a lot of baby boy, you know, just 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 paying honor to his his you know resume. But, you know, I use some Shawshank stuff here and there. I just like for me, like I grew up as a kid watching a ton of different stuff. Uh, you know, we used to have like the you know this was back when my dad was in the league with Super Baller. We used to have this 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 legendary satellite where we could pick up stations oh, all, all over. About, the- you talking about that big ass satellite like a spaceship in the backyard, right? Yeah, straight straight <laughs> spaceship. The shit where you know you could you could adjust it and it would move to get the signal. We had we so- had we had one in North Carolina, bro. I had a big ass satellite. On, on the side of the house where the basketball go and the whole shit will start moving every time you turn it. Yeah, you already know <laughs> we had to get the good signal. So you hear that shit just moving in the backyard. But so we got to watch all kinds of stuff. I'm thankful to my older brother. I got to watch all the stuff from his generation. So I was on a lot of shit early on in life, you know, like DJ quick and, you know, poor righteous teachers, all this other stuff he used to come through with. And then obviously I have my younger brother too. So they would keep me young with the stuff that they were watching. But, yeah, man, I think definitely John Singleton stuff because, you know, like a movie like Boys in the Hood, obviously super serious movie, right? But the way you can translate memes and find comedy in it. So I probably use his stuff the most, but always just love to pay homage and respect to him. Speaking of movies, what actor do you want to work with on a movie? It could be a TV show. What actor do you want to work with? Oh, I, I mean, there's so many, so many talented people out there. I mean, I'll say somebody like Idris Elba. I think, you know, just I'm a big fan of The Wire. Yo, yo shout out to Idris Elba. I just can't take him serious as a Marvel character, bro. I can't. It's hard to do, bro. I mean, it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard. It's hard <laughs> watching a, The Wire. A, he's a great actor, though, bro. And it's a lot of thing with the British actors, too. Like, you, you watch him in roles, and you think, oh, damn, this dude, is, yeah, he, he killing this. He's from the hood, whatever. And you hear him talk. He's like, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> he's like, yo, yo, he started talking like he was over there over there with the croissants, bro. Over there where they, Lennis Lewis was my favorite. Because Lennis Lewis used to destroy guys in the boxing ring, and then I would hear his post game. I mean, like post-fight interview, and he'd be like, "Yo, I'm such a pugilist specialist." <laughs> I used to be like, "Yo, get the fuck out of here, man!" Like you got your ass knocked out by that dude, like damn. But <laughs> but yeah, tremendous amount of respect for injury. So I love to work with somebody like him. I'm just, yeah, I, like there's so many talented ass people there. Like Taraji P Henson, I love to do something with her. Yeah, just her versatility. Just seeing her early on in her career. Obviously, I'm a baby boy fan, so been rocking with her since baby boy. But just to see, you know, the, the characters that she's played throughout her career. And just you talk about exquisite acting, she she embodies it. Man, we we're both we we're both like OGs. We consider like OGs and goats in the Twitter world, bro. So who are your Twitter Avengers? If you had to assemble a group of those Twitter guys to talk basketball, crack jokes, who is on your list of Twitter Avengers, Josiah? I gotta throw Mero on there just because he's one of the funniest dudes ever, and he's a Knicks fan, so that's that's endless jokes. Uh Dragonfly Jones. Who Dragonfly and Legetto Jenkins, who I work with that uh, way, we do a show called Out of Pocket. But Dragonfly and Legetto are probably the main reason that I even wanted to start doing this stuff on social and Twitter. Man, I used to be big fans of theirs, and just the way they tweeted, the way they moved. A guy like yourself as well, too. You be, you know, 
You be saying some some shit that's out there. That should be cracking me up, man. Like, it's, it's yeah, like people don't understand about my my Twitter. Like you said earlier, how you tweet from a vacuum, bro. I could be at the pool swimming. I could be on a hike with my wife and kids. I could be in Disneyland, and you just think of random shit and you just tweet it. But the funniest thing is how people reacting. Like they don't believe that you thought of that shit, or you have people to say, "Yo, bro, I was thinking that my whole life, but I never knew how to articulate it." Yeah, and that's but that's what I think Twitter is representative to me, and that's the shit that cracks me up the most. Just everyday stuff that you'd be thinking, and now you have a place to really say it, and just seeing how many people feel the same way or think the same way or or, or find that humor in the same exact way, and it's just like stream of consciousness, stream of consciousness type shit, like shit that just be on your mind. And I'll throw some random tweets out there like that, like just stuff I'm just thinking about, and it's to see the way other people are thinking about it too. Like we didn't have this growing up back in the day. Like you know, back in the day, you had to wait to get to school or get to the, the gym or whatever to be able to engage with people and talk with people and find out what people you know. Like I think about like The Simpsons when I was coming up. Like if you didn't watch The Simpsons and you came to school the next day and you didn't know what was going on, like you was you was, you was going to be you know on an island because nobody you know you didn't you didn't know the jokes or whatever people were talking about. Yeah. So, now, so for what Twitter represents for me now, just that instantaneous reaction. We all watching the game and we see the same thing happen and we all got to just run to the timeline and talk about it. And you just see that shit happen in real time. And it's pretty crazy just to see how everybody will be buzzing about the same thing at the same exact moment or a meme will hit the TL and everybody, you know, I think about the Usher one most recently when he, uh, he did the, uh, the little performance yeah. and he hit him with the watch this and just how everybody sees that and just grab gravitates on that and jumps on it. I Man, I think that's a cool thing because you find out, and this is the thing I try to express to people too, right? You look at the NBA Twitter space, you got people that are fans of teams, players, whatever, that'll go at each other, be ready to fight over, you know, their loyalty or allegiance to a certain player. And I got to tell these dudes sometimes, like, bro, if you knew, because I'll see, you know, people that I know getting into it with each other, ready to throw blows and shit. Like, bro, if y'all knew each other in real life, y'all be best friends because y'all got so much in common. So stop letting fucking yeah, basketball. Yeah. You be ready to fight somebody over a basketball take. It's like, there's more to life than that. Bro, I have real life internet enemies. People who unfollow you and block you all because of like the wild stuff you talking about. Where, like you said, you might be a fan of this player and they hate that player. Like, I take so many strays. I say this in so many conversations, man. I take so many strays for LeBron. Like, just indirect, just indirect. I know you deal with it because you being vocal as a LeBron fan. So, you, like, you deal with the strays, right, where it's like, bang, bang, bang. It's like, bro, like, I don't work for the Lakers. I can't. I can't. I can't make the trade, bro. Like, I'm gonna keep her. I was happy to see the Warriors win this year, but I knew what that was gonna come with. Oh my you god! Know? I already knew what that was. So I already know. All right, damn. I, I probably tweeted some shit that the motherfucker just been sitting on for like a year, just ready to throw back in my face. I forgot I tweeted this shit. Yeah, you remember what you said this? Like, damn, bro, I, I evolved as a human. That shit was like yes, 13 months ago. Yeah. So speaking of it, I have this thing I say where I'm like, yo, bro. When people come at you and say, you said, bro, but you said, like, I know I said it. And sometimes, bro, they go so far back. It's like, bro, I don't even remember saying this shit. <laughs> like, I don't remember this shit at all. But some people really will hang on to your every word and try to spin it and use it against you, bro. It's crazy. And that shit has happened to me so much when I start seeing it happen to other people. Like, I'm not going to sit there and pile on or whatever. I know, you know, it's, especially with people I know and I know where their hearts at. I know they're good people. Like, we all, we all tweet dumb shit. We've all said some stupid shit or done some stupid shit in our life. 
So I'm not gonna be the one that ha ha that that got your moment. Like I'm, yeah, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm too old for yeah, that. Yeah, you shit. grow, you grow and evolve, and it's like people sometimes forget like you can change. Even like we've seen people get canceled on Kevin Hart with the whole uh, with the Oscars, and it's crazy out here with that shit. But I'm telling you what we need, bro. We need another NBA Twitter Finals experience. I went to the one in 2019 in Toronto. I think you went to the one in Golden State, right? You was in Golden yeah State. for sure. You were in Golden State. I saw Dragonfly and them guys in, in pictures. Uh, my guy M Grass. Shout out to M Grass. Shout out to M Grass. M Grass. He he's connected, man. Shout out to my guy, man. So I'm, I'm gonna tell you a quick story about 2019 because I'm gonna be real. I saw you it was probably like game two or something like yeah, that. Yeah, y'all went to game and two I'm in like, Toronto. Yeah. I think we were at like game three, but this was before Twitter hit me to invite me. I'm like, damn, I'm trying to get to a game. Like, I'm telling you everybody out there having a good ass time and shit. So we all linked up at, at game three of Oracle, and this was the first time meeting Dragonfly. And, you know, I mean, didn't really know what the dude looked like, just to be perfectly honest, because I hadn't seen a lot of pictures of him. Obviously, I don't think his, his avi is related to anything, you know, what he looks like. But I, I shit you know, he walked in like first quarter, second quarter, whatever, and right away just lit up the whole room. Everybody's hugging, dapping up. But I actually went to the game with Imgrads. And, you know, I knew Imgrads. We, we, we had hung out a few times. But to your point, I didn't know how connected he was. This motherfucking Imgrads had us downstairs in the family room and doing all this other <laughs> shit. Yeah. Rich shout Paul to, and Shams. Shout, shout and, out to my guy, man. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sitting there like he running up on Rich Paul or whatever, but just everybody knows him and, you know, just, just seeing the plugs that he had and the dude he is, man. Like, Imgrad's another dude who I feel like gets, gets a lot of heat on Twitter, but if people got to meet him in the real world and just talk to him, the dude is cool as shit. Man, cool as shit. We have phone conversations. We argue sometimes. It, it's all in fun, though. Like, he'll hit me. I ain't talked to him in a while, but that's my guy, man. So what NBA Finals matchup do you want to see? If we get a chance to do the NBA Twitter experience again, shout out to TJ over at Twitter. What, yeah. if, what if we get to do this again? Like, what matchup do you want to see this upcoming season if we have the NBA Finals? Like, the, Twitter, I mean, the NBA Twitter Finals. I'm going to go Lakers-Celtics or Lakers-Bucks because Lake, Lakers-Bucks, I know I get the plug for the game in L.A., and I know my pops got the plug in Milwaukee. Oh, yeah, so yeah, you that, good. You good. You, you double plugged up. <laughs> but, yeah, either one of those I'd be happy with. Man, people sleeping on the Bucks. man. They lost last year. You know, Middleton was out. But I like some of the moves they made. You know, they got uh, Marjan Bochamp, man. He is going to be an underrated rookie coming in. I like the Bucs, man. I like I like that pick with the Bucs coming out of the East, man. If the, Boston yeah, Celtics, no. if the Boston Celtics don't make any more moves, it might go seven games with them. If Middleton wasn't hurt, I mean, it's very it's very easy that we would have got a, a Warriors-Bucs finals. And I think that squad, you know, just what they were able to do against the Suns in 2021, you know, it's tough for them. But that, that squad, Giannis is locked in. And for my money, Giannis is the best player in the league right now. You can say whatever you want, but if I'm starting a franchise right now, I'm taking Giannis because of all the shit he can do. Uh, I went to uh, the Lakers played the Bucks, I think in like November this past year. I want to say he gave like Anthony Davis a 40 piece, but just looking at that dude on the court and how dominant he is, defensive side, offensive side. No people love Joker. No people love Embiid. But Giannis is, is my guy. I'm rocking with him. Man, I got a chance to see Giannis. I took my son and two of his best friends. They like big time Giannis fans. So I took them down to Charlotte to see Giannis like third row. So when you sit in that close, you can really see the physicality. <laughs> and it was yeah. like, this was my first time seeing him play in person. And I was like, bro, nobody, nobody really can stop him when he goes downhill. So that's a good pick. So I'm going to ask you two questions from the nosebleed section. These the, <laughs> yeah, I, I like to call this the nosebleed section on my show. These are fan questions. Sir Kenneth, the third as, he said, Josiah, how do you have a meme ready to go for every situation? 
For me, I'm a big Sugar Free fan. He said, if you, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. So Sugar Free, shout out to Sugar Free, OG legend. P- Pomona's finest. But so, you know, I, I keep I keep just, and it's like, you know, the way LeBron is on the court with being able to recall plays and how cerebral he is, I'm, I'm like that with, with pop culture and memes. So whenever something happens, I just, I'll see it in meme form when it happens. Like, you know, like Donald Trump just got raided at Mar-a-Lago. First thing I think about is the, is the warden in Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> and that's, and I kid you not, that's literally the first thing that'll come to my head. Like, that's reminding me, just, it just said, I see, I see things in meme form. It's just photographic. It's a real photographic memory, man. And then I'll, I'll test a lot of stuff early on in the season. Like, if I have a, a good meme idea or whatever, I'll use it early on just to see how what the response is, knowing that I'm going to use it down the road, you know, when more eyeballs are watching and there's more of a conversation or discussion around it. But for me, I just I like the way too that the community is kind of you know really embraced it. Now everybody's getting their memes off. You got everybody a lot. You got a lot. Jokes of, you know, you're being humble right now, Josiah. But you got a lot of Josiah Johnson. You have a lot of Josiah Johnson copycats out here on Twitter, bro. I mean, I look, man. I, I, at the end of the day, I'm not the first person to do it. I'm not the last person to do it. I think I'm just I'm just happy to see. You know, people trying shit out, getting jokes off. You see so much yeah, funny stuff yeah, so much out funny of people stuff. you'd have never expected. Like, I didn't even know you you got down like that, but you cracking jokes. You know, you, even LeBron will get in the mix every once in a while. So it's just funny to see everybody now embracing it. And I think it's it's a way of communication now. And like I said, for me, the opportunities that's created for myself, I'm more than happy for whoever the fuck want to do it. Everybody get in on it because nothing more makes me nothing makes me happier than to see other people win too. Like I'm not, you know, I know I'd love to share the pie. I'm not no greedy dude. I just want what's mine. I'm happy to see everybody else get theirs too, man. And just to see the way that, you know, people, somebody like a dragonfly, right? Went from a dude who just kind of tweeting out just amazing stuff to now he's got pods, he's got shows he's doing, just the, the incredible opportunities that get to come of it. You look at Jesus and Mero, I know obviously they, they, aren't, they aren't doing their show anymore, but those are two guys who are really just, you know, just Twitter dudes at the core who will be able to, to transform that into amazingly successful careers, but also showing the establishment and showing the world, you know, the power that we wield and the power that we possess, especially in the black community, where, you know, back in the day, when social media first started kind of hitting, you would look at these social teams, wouldn't be no black people on the social teams, right? But they would be pulling <laughs> from the, but all the shit they would be doing is like, eh, like, yo, this feels real familiar, you know, to the black Twitter community. But now being able to see some of those people who are dominant there, you know, kind of use that as their minor leagues now to go to the pros and do some amazing stuff has been really cool to see. So the moral of the story is it's enough money for everybody, baby. It's enough money out here for everybody. So last question from the nose, please. From Chaos Lover on the Some Dude Show Discord. He said, ask Josiah, how did he get into social media? What's the best and worst part about it that he's experienced so far? Well, I got into social media. I had, I had a show on Comedy Central called Legend of Chamberlain Heights, and I wasn't really big on social at that point just because I saw it not as necessarily a waste of time, but I knew how how involved I would be in it. It would, it would distract me from doing some of the other stuff that I was doing, but started running the legend, the Chamberlain Heights account uh, when I was doing the show and really just, you know, did a ton of research, did a, did a ton of market research just on accounts and how they moved and the type of stuff that performed well. And just started learning a lot about social strategy. So then after the show got canceled, I just started focusing on my own account and doing a bunch of stuff for me. The, the, the best part about it, uh, we talked about earlier is you could put something out there and people like, you know, Jordan Peele will see it or John Legend or getting a, a quote tweet from LeBron or getting LeBron to call me the GOAT, you know, of, of Twitter and shit like that. That That's like the most incredible part about it. The worst part we also talked about earlier is just the trolls and seeing, man, this shit is like, I feel like in the last couple of years, it's gotten a lot more toxic. 
and just a lot more people who just want to hate just just for the sake of hating, yeah. like pride themselves on being haters. Like, oh, I'm the best hater. I'm so miserable and mean and all that shit. And like I said, I've been on both sides of it. So now that I'm older now, I, I try to just have a lot more respect for the community. Even somebody I don't agree with, I don't agree with their opinion. Whatever, we can debate and talk about it, but it's not going to devolve into name calling and, you know, yeah, me trying to yeah, talk like, about your family and yeah, shit. Yeah, like, like, pull up, pull up. I want to meet you. Let's fight. Let's box. Like, look, bro, I will shoot you, man. You hear me? <laughs> <laughs> like, like I, re- I really, my, my hands are still nice. I work out five or six days a week. I'm on my supplement games. Shout out to Legion. I'm on my supplements, bro. But look, bro, you don't want to fight me, bro. I'm going to go ahead and just have to shoot you. So just keep it on Twitter, bro. Yeah, it's like if you want to fight somebody over a tweet, that's you know you got to reevaluate some shit that's going on. Yeah, you got to get a family. That's why I tell guys. Yeah, once you become a family man, all that type of shit. There you have it, y'all. Josiah Johnson. Let the people know where they can find you, Josiah, on social media. What project you got coming up, upcoming? Uh, King Josiah fifty four on Twitter and Instagram. Check out No Chill with Gilbert Arenas. Check out uh, Out of Pocket on Buckets. Doing some stuff with Showtime Basketball as well. Talk your shit, doing man. Talk your shit on NBA the NBA Twitter show. Live. Shout out to TJ for, for blessing all, all us Twitter humans with these opportunities. Oh, yeah. And yeah, man, just, just keep grinding. Lakers is six. You heard it. He didn't say it, but I said it. <laughs> Lakers is six. Anthony Davis or LeBron for MVP. Josiah Johnson, ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate you, brother, stopping by. Long interview, but it was a lot of gems, bro. And I'm glad the people gonna get a chance to hear this shit, bro. You do, no, I appreciate you we, too. Yo, we the Twitter goats. I'm talking my shit. We are the Twitter goats, bro. Glad we got to link up. Hell yeah, bro. Be safe. Are oh, you too? Yes, sir. Yeah. There you have it, man. King Josiah, one of the funniest guys ever on social media on Twitter. Make sure you get him a follow, man. Make sure you subscribe to the Some Dude Show. As always, I am your proud host, Cuffs the Legend. Man, it's a lot of gems in that episode, man, about the Twitter world. I know a lot of y'all know about Twitter, but we do have a lot of people that tune in to the Some Dude Show who may not quite understand the levels of Twitter. And that's why I wanted to do this episode, man, just to break down the mindset of people on Twitter, how it works. It's a beautiful app. But that little app on your phone can open up a lot of doors. And we learned that right here with Josiah Johnson. He's writing for TV shows. Colin Kaepernick. Man, Comedy Central. Podcast with Gilbert Arenas. They said it's just Twitter, though, y'all. <laughs> they said we just some guys on Twitter. They said it's just Twitter. You know, it's just Twitter, man. That's what they said, y'all. <laughs> the jig is hovering, though. They said we couldn't. You know, they said we wouldn't. <laughs> I don't know about that. They said it's just Twitter. You know, <laughs> the price going up though. Yesterday's price is not today's price. Yesterday's price is not today's price. He's certified. <laughs>